Welcome to the Front End Nerdery Podcast, a podcast about front end development design and anything else that I decide we want to talk about. <laughs> um, any anything else that um, you know that comes up? It's more than just front end, folks. Um, again, my name is Todd Livy. I'm the host. Uh, my co-host Homer uh, Gain, Gains. I almost said Homer Simpson. Wow, uh, it's early here. No coffee. Homer Gaines isn't here with me today, but that's all right. Homer, we miss you and hope to see you back soon. Um, and oh, where did I put it? Of course, here we go. Uh, with me today, I have a developer advocate, front end developer slash engineer. And apparently, I have to find out about this. Your favorite TV show is Billions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's on Now TV in the UK and Showtime in the US. So I got to find out more about that. Uh, Alvin Bryan, uh, thank you for joining me today. How are you? Of course. Thanks. Um, I'm great. I'm super happy to be here. I, I love podcasts. It's, it's always fun. Awesome. So, uh, I also forgot developer advocate at Contentful. So I would like oh, to yeah. uh, discuss that a little <laughs> bit too. So uh, if I missed anything, go ahead and tell the, the listeners a little bit more about yourself. For sure. You've got it covered. I, I've been doing front end for a while. And um, since last year, so it's been about a year and something, I transitioned to doing uh, developer relations full time. And yeah, I've been a developer advocate at Contentful for just over a year. Cool. So um, what I like to talk about with uh, my guests, and I hadn't been doing this for a while, but what is your favorite part of front-end development? And what really gets you excited doing uh that part of the work and as we dive into the question your favorite part and then uh what do you see as something that really uh i guess grinds your gears and something about front end that you know just kind of gets under your skin that that uh something that might be a problem for instance yeah for sure favorite part I think for me, and that's been the case forever, it's when I'm working with a designer and they and they come up to me and they say, okay, so I have this crazy idea. I'm not sure if, if it's possible, but can, can we try to do this? And, and, and then my response is always, oh, I'm not sure, but I'm gonna try. And it's always been my favorite thing is uh, collaborating quickly with design, uh, quickly, not necessarily quickly, but closely with designers and trying to like, just make beautiful stuff. On the opposite end of that, what I guess what grinds my gears, probably a pretty common answer, I'm sure, is um, the fact that we're shipping React for everything. <laughs> pretty pretty standard answer, but it's mm -hmm. still a problem. Mm -hmm. So it's it's still grinding my gears. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I saw recently on Twitter a little kerfuffle about that, so um, I won't go into that. But you know, <laughs> yeah, wave, waves were made. Um, so. <laughs> 
I've been doing front end for my entire career, mostly. And it my you know, my favorite part was just creating things and building things from the very beginning, even when. So, again, and I've dated myself in other uh, episodes. Um, I remember JavaScript in its infancy <laughs> and even before there was CSS. So, I mean even when I was building things and say, like I learned how to, to program in Commodore basic and mm -hmm. basic and scheme and just making, building things and creating things and making things come alive with code was always my favorite thing. Then when, you know, HTML came out, um, well, HTML and CSS came when CSS came out with HTML was making thing, building things for the web, like a website or a web page, and then making it, you know, look a certain way. And, and that was always my favorite thing to do. Um, did so, you ever, did you ever use flash? I did. Nice. That's that's a double-edged sword for me because one, I loved doing Flash. I loved doing fun, uh, isn't it? Action, yeah. action, action script. Yeah. On the other hand, being me being an accessibility person wasn't the most oh, accessible yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a surprise when you know Bill, uh, not Bill Gates. Steve Jobs uh, came out with that um, killed it article, article <laughs> or whatever, and he just and he single handedly killed it. It seemed so, um, but yes, I did do Flash, I did do Action Script, um, not to the so a lot. If you remember the sites like maybe Too Advanced, for instance. Um, they were a big player in the United States as far as flash development goes. Um, I think they may still be on the internet archive machine. I'm not sure. I'm, pr I'm pretty sure I did see something. Um, and then there's, uh, there's an account on Twitter that, um, I'll have to find it. I'll send you the link to it if I can find it. But, um, yeah, they, nothing you know there was these intricate interfaces i didn't do anything like that i i did like simple stuff simple transitions and and just you know hokey little stuff but still i love doing what i did i knew a lot of people that did flash and um they were really good at what they did plus they were designers as well so you had that you know that hybrid and they created some of the best stuff that I had ever seen at the time. Um, yeah, it's, my only issue the creativity was the, that went into Flash is yeah crazy. Yeah, yeah, and that's the kind of creativity I loved working with, and, and I still do. I still love working with that kind of creative uh, person. So, diving into front end, I wanted to talk about Astro. When you had mentioned Astro and Svelte, so. A little rundown. Give me a little rundown on Astro and what Astro is. Sure. Um, so this is related to what I said about people shipping React for everything. Astro <laughs> is a so it's a web framework, um, and it's focused on uh, 
content content heavy sites, right? And what's particular about it is it's it supports other frameworks. So the idea is basically it's it's a it's a site generator and um, a server-side rendering framework that can use components from other frameworks. So um, it ships with no JavaScript by default, which mm -hmm. is great. So by default, you can give it um, a React component, a view component, and it will server-side render them and so and turn that into Java into no JavaScript, so into just HTML and ship that to the client. Uh, not, not ship that to the client, turn that into a static site or do this on the server if you want to run it with server-side rendering. Right, okay. Um, I'm seeing more and more people talking about Astro and building a site with Astro and mm -hmm. more and more uh, content creators um, such as James Quick who are building um, Astro courses to teach people mm -hmm. about Astro. So that's interesting. I definitely have to check it out. Now on the other, on the other, another topic is Svelte. So don't know anything about Astro other than it exists. And I don't know <laughs> anything about Svelte. The only thing I do know is that it exists. So let right. tell me a little bit about Svelte. Um, do how much of React do you know, or do do you expect your listeners to know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, listeners are fairly knowledgeable, I you know I believe, and as far as I go, I know enough React to be dangerous. Let's put great, it that way. Great, great, <laughs> great. So um, the the idea with React and what it was um. Uh, Got a little audio issue or video issue here, so I'm not getting any audio. So we'll have to see what's. And going then on. here we oh. go. Yeah, something on my end or your end might have done something. So I can just. I apologize. This. Yeah. I can no no worries. Um, I can just clip that part out. So, um, yeah, tell me a little bit about Svelte. Sure. So, what React did is it it you know it introduced this idea of components, and then another big part of React is the virtual DOM, right? In that um, we understand that DOM updates are expensive, so as a result, we maintain this virtual DOM, and then uh, we you know, we calculate what changed on the virtual DOM, and then we apply the result of that to the actual DOM, right? And all of this happens um, at runtime. And React will ship a runtime that has all this magic included in it, right? Um, Svelte, which is also similar to another one called Solid, which is also another framework that came out somewhat recently, but very similar to React, is that they take all of that work of figuring out what changed in the DOM, they take all of that work and put that in the compiler. So all of that stuff happens in the compile step. So. And so the, the only JavaScript that gets shipped to the client is not a generic, you know, like a general purpose virtual DOM diffing library. It's it's only the changes that your code has made to the DOM, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, so Svelte does that and so, and so does Solid. So that's part of what makes it different um, to React in like the conceptual you know, um, nature of it. 
in in terms purely as like for coding, it's it's just a lot simpler. I think there's a lot. So there's no JSX, so it has its own component format that kind of looks like Vue. In uh, so every file is divided into three. You have a script tag, so like a normal script tag in HTML, which contains all of your JavaScript code. Then you have your HTML, which is just standard HTML, and underneath that you have a style tag, which contains your locally scoped CSS. So it's meant to be very, very minimal. So like, so, so with Svelte, you write normal JavaScript. If you have a, I don't know, if you have a function that takes, um, I'm just making stuff up here, but like, you know, that it takes a string and then turns it into another string and then puts that in a component, you'd write that in normal JavaScript. You can basically just copy paste whatever you have from other projects, put it in the JS and then pass that down into the HTML. So it's, it's meant to be, you know, minimal and like, I mean, Belt, obviously, it's, it's in a name, so it's right. meant to be you know, very minimal and fast, and um, yeah, so that that's the the value prop of Svelte. Yeah, yeah, that's what I've heard about Svelte is that it's fast, and and a lot of people are praising it. Um, I know that um, Scott Spence is one of the people that I know that works with Svelte, so. Yeah. Is yeah. Scott is actually somebody I'm looking to get on the podcast as well. Um, yeah, he's running a meetup here too. in London. Okay, yeah, yeah. I met Scott uh, in November of last year at what what we call the conference that won't be named. Um, <laughs> that happened in London. Yep, yep. I know the one. That yeah, <laughs> did happen in London. <laughs> I had a great time in London. I think everybody, all the speakers that I was hanging out with did, but it was just that, yeah, that part of the, the conference part of it was not really um, <laughs> po popular yeah. or, uh, yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, I met Scott there and uh, definitely I've sat in on a couple of his streams and seen a few of his YouTube videos. And, and it looks it, that is something that actually looks like something that I could um, sink my teeth into and, and learn. Um, yes, it's it's very much for like it, it's meant to be close to the web platform like there. It can get a bit weird when you get into the state management of it and the reactivity mm -hmm. of it. But the the standard way of making component is quite close to writing regular HTML and JavaScript. There isn't a lot of like, you know, the React way of doing it in the same way you do with JSX. Yeah, I am one, and it might be because of the way that I've you know done things my entire career. But I am the I am of the mindset that the less code, the better, and yep. the less weight to a site, the better perform for performance because performance mm -hmm. for me performance falls under uh accessibility if you have a performance sure. site you have an accessible site for the most part um that's one piece in the in the cog for me mm -hmm. um so yeah i definitely definitely check that out um we were going to talk about uh here's something that um keeping in the uh development um uh, topic you know i've heard a lot about uh headless cmss mm -hmm. and i've i've you know i've read articles and i and i've talked to people about them but i've never i don't think i've ever used one and i don't think i've ever really dove into anything um 
that uses a headless CMS. So I know probably a lot of the listeners will know what a headless CMS is, but for me, enlighten me and educate me on what is a headless CMS and what benefit does it serve if I am building a site and I need a headless CMS? Right. Um, so f for full disclosure, um, I work at Contentful, uh, which is you know one a headless CMS provider. You mentioned we mentioned uh, Scott Spence earlier, who works at Storyblock, which is another uh, headless CMS provider. Um, so for me, the the biggest paradigm shift with headless is um, compared to traditional CMSs is you break away from the concept of uh, of your make you have a content management system for a website. You just have a content management system um, in WordPress or whatever. Like um, when you're you create a page and that page is somewhat the same page on your website, right? You're you're still thinking in um, of your content in terms of like a website, right? Like pages and and other things. With headless CMS, you're thinking of your content in terms of um, like atomic blocks. So this is so, so this is a title, right? This is um, this is a carousel, for example, and that carousel can be in one page, can be in three pages, and can be in the same page three times. Um, so that's that's the that's the main idea, and it's and you're so you so you sever that connection between like oh this this page is one page, and then what you do is you after you've created all this collection of blocks, you serve them into uh, with an API, and it's the idea that anything can consume this API. So we have like and this works really well for bigger companies, right? So if you're, um, we do a lot of work with IKEA. So if you're IKEA, your content is on your website, it's on a catalog, it's on the side of a billboard somewhere, it's on the back of a truck, and so so that that's the idea, right? So you're, you have this centralized place that own you know contains all your content, and anything that can make an API call can receive that content. I'm on the Contentful website right now, and I've checked this. So now that I think about it, I used to use WordPress a lot, and I mm -hmm. developed, well, I was a WordPress developer for a number of years. I Correct me if I'm wrong, but they are a headless CMS now as well. So you can run it headless. So they don't do this. so. It's if they've not basically killed the old WordPress and replaced it with headless. Both products exist, so right. you can create your your WordPress site with uh, you know with uh, with the old interface with your new uh, Gutenberg editor, which is a lot more like block based. And so you can either run a classic WordPress site as you would code like back in the days, or you can s serve that content with an API, then then consume it with whatever. Okay. I used, okay, so then before I stopped doing WordPress development, and I'm totally moved away from, from WordPress uh, entirely, I did use Gutenberg for a very, very short time, and it, mm. um, not as, not headless, though. So, okay, that, that, everything's beginning to, everything's <laughs> beginning to click now. Um, but yeah, I, I actually, I think I might have signed up I think I might have signed up for for Contentful, and then 
think I might have signed up for story blog too. I I definitely have to check these out. So we're gonna have all these links in the in the show notes, definitely, um, for people to check out. So now talking about Contentful, you're dead DevRel at Contentful. So how is it working for Contentful? And can you tell me a little bit about your role there as de- developer relations at Contentful? For sure. So we have a um, an, ent- an, an entire DevRel team. So it's not just me. So there's uh, there's five of us. So we have um, myself, two other developer advocates. One is based in Berlin. The other one in DC, in the US. Uh, we have a director also based in the US and a community lead. So yes, yeah, so we have a full on DevRel team. So we with everyone kind of has their own like specialties in a way. Uh, the community manager, obviously uh, community lead. Pardon me, Katie, <laughs> does uh, all things community. She's gonna, she's running our Discord, which is gonna launch very soon. Um, on in for for the three developer advocates again, like one, we we all do a bit of everything, but we definitely have specialties. So Harshal does a lot of conference talks. I would do more uh, content and like podcasts, for example. Um, gotcha. I'll help with um, organizing events. Um, my colleague Brittany would do like more would do workshops also do a lot of work organizing events so yes it's it's a mix so yeah okay so there's a lot of kind of like um you know between the five of you have a lot of different um revolving parts that are in specialized places okay um yeah so I'm very interested in the DevRel side of things because I am currently moving away from the accessibility space, trying to move into DevRel, which is why I asked. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, what about your role um, doing DevRel uh, is, I guess, excites you and, and like, um, what do you find? um that you get out of doing devrel because you did uh front-end development for for so long you kind of shifted away from uh, the programming aspect of things into Mm -hmm. the content creation uh side Mm -hmm. of things so uh how was that transition and how how do you like it i think so uh, my opinion of this changed a little bit so i i still think the the stereotype that like if you if you do DevRel you don't code is not true. Um, mm-hmm. I still feel like you're you're either you have to keep coding because you're you're have I mean it's you're you'll be building demos and stuff like that. But if even if you're not, it's like actually coding. I still think you're spending a lot of time thinking about coding, about like okay what's uh, what's happening. Uh, and so in my case, we're contentful, so we're working a lot with like front-end developers, which is good because it's me. Uh, but like, what's happening in front-end stuff? What is the? What are the new frameworks? Where do we need to have an integration? Uh, what you know? What programming languages are you know happening? Where do we need to spend effort if we want to make a demo? Again, what languages we use? So it's so you're still very much in the in the coding world. Um, for me, I, I'm I want to be close to the code. I I think with the, especially in the last six months, as I write this, so it's about it's been about a year. So my second six month at Contentful, there were a lot of events. So this was very, very, very focused on events, and I spent a lot less time coding than I did previously. And I think that was a combination of factor, but the and 
and and you know this because you've been doing conferences and stuff they all they all tend to happen at the same time <laughs> between <laughs> march and june which can get a little bit ridiculous um especially you know with travel and everything so it's hard it's kind of hard to get down and focus on code so that that's been um i wouldn't say it's a struggle more like unexpected um when you know in the last you know yeah in the past six months or so so that yeah otherwise that transition has been very easy because i i still get to code i like the variety of it uh, I've, I've never been so uh, i've never been so much of a product person i mean I, I like it but i feel like i'm much more of a project person i, I really like things that have a, a beginning and an end and uh demos are very much that for me like they're the small projects or even like um starter guides um so all of that stuff is still very much you know a small a small pro small self-contained project mm. which is the kind of coding stuff that i like i'm i'm I really like this compared to like working on this one feature of this one part of the product for a year or two. Um, again, different people, different things, but that for me, for me, that that's, it's something I really like. Yeah. That's the part to, for me anyways, when I looked at DevRel as being something that I could possibly get into was, okay, I could potentially go work for a company, get behind, what they do in their in their product or products that you know do these little demos and still keep mm -hmm. that coding um part you know fresh and and then go to conferences and, and talk about this stuff and maybe even as far as i go um bring in the accessibility side of things to it mm -hmm. so um it, that's that that's the part for devrel that really piqued my interest when i because i had just gone through burnout and um i believe i read somewhere that you had gone through burnout as well i wouldn't call it a full burnout i think i stopped when i saw the first i guess signs of it creeping in and that, that's when I stopped. I was like, eh, that, that's, that's not sounding good. I, I think it was uh, just a combo of um, um, working in, in news. So before, before Contentful, I worked for, for the Wall Street Journal. Mm -hmm. And you know, the, the news cycle in the past three years has not been great, <laughs> to say the <laughs> no. least. Um, so I think it was just, uh, you know, being exposed to that a fair bit. Um, you know, pandemic stuff, the, even though my, my team was great, the, the, I, it was a huge, still is very much a huge honor uh, to have worked there. So it, it wasn't necessarily like for like, from like overwork, I think, because sometimes that's one of the reasons people burn out. Um, I think it was just a combination of like all these things that are like, like more like small accumulation of, of things that made me want to stop and like, um, take a break, yeah, and then reassess, and then apply apply for for other jobs and everything. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So my <laughs> to re to relate to that, I have been burnt out multiple times during my career. I saw it coming. Yet me, I'm stubborn, and uh, <laughs> I tried to work my way through it. That did not work. So I don't recommend working through burnout. I recommend if you see the signs and you know the signs, just stop. Like, you know, you did, Alvin, and just step back and say, okay, take some time away and I'm going to reassess everything. And then I'm going to come back, hopefully refreshed, you know, that, yeah. you know, that spark again. 
Me, on the other hand, I worked three straight years going through audit after accessibility audit after accessibility mm. audit, and it just burnt me out. So um, yeah. thus the move out of accessibility. I've had some time off now. Uh, I'm ready to get back into it. I've actually found some stuff that really excites me. It's brought back that feeling when I was a kid and I was learning Great. Commodore basic. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So let's talk about um, this, this show this billions show now i'm going to click the link <laughs> I, I, I guess to, sorry to, to carry on for, for devrel one thing that i didn't mention okay. um that can be a, a, i guess a reason to code again is conference talks like it's a yes. huge part of devrel right just uh, I, I i don't do it as much anymore but that's and it's also what uh people associate with devrel a lot so there is all this developer advocates speaking right. at all these conferences and um right. And, and they're good at it and they're doing content, even if now it can be YouTube or whatever, but that, all of this content is code. I mean, I, you don't have to talk about code, but if you're if you're building something that people would want to watch at a conference talk, there's a very high chance this will involve coding. Um, right. That, that's also yeah. another part of DevRel that will keep you coding for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I mean, you see conferences and they have sponsors, sponsors that ha help make conferences happen. And, and, and at those conferences, you have those sponsors, they have people at those booths, and those people <laughs> at those booths and that, are yeah. DevRel. So yep. um, definitely, um, Great definitely like understand that. that. Yeah, that is a very big part. Do you, do you actually... Do you do any conferences as part of your role with Contentful or are you just, okay. Okay. So potentially I could probably see you at a conference in the, in the future. Oh yeah, for sure. Okay. For sure. Like, um, so the, 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 the conference that shall not be named was on our radar for, for, for sponsorship, but I'm very glad we didn't, we didn't go ahead with it, <laughs> but we, we, we could have seen each other there. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Our, our last one was in city JS. Uh, okay. In London again, okay. uh, we will be in CJS in Berlin. Uh, we will be uh, so I'm talking as sponsors. Um, we were at Render Atlanta, also okay. as um, as sponsors. We had a booth. We did a workshop. Yeah. So, so yeah. Um, if it's not me, it might be a member of my team. Right. Okay. You could definitely keep out keep an eye out for that, um, because. I have, well, since I've done live conferences, in-person conferences, and that's been about two years, um, I've only done one event internationally. Mm -hmm. Not the not the best way to kick it <laughs> off internationally, but it's still. <laughs> um, it's, yeah. You all dodged a bullet there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, very, very we lucked out for sure. Yeah, um, but yeah, definitely. Uh, we'll have to keep that in mind. I, as you know, hopefully, if I settle into somewhere or in, and there's a role for me out there in Devrel with a company, uh, hopefully, uh, definitely be able to meet up at a at a future conference. Hopefully, so for sure, that'd be cool. So. This TV show. <laughs> yes. TV show. 
the weirdest things piqued my interest. So it's an American drama series called yes. Billions. Yep. Tell me more about this and why should um, I watch this? Because it looks pretty good, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, well, it, it depends on what you like. But for me, um, it's um, it's it's hard to like sell it now. Okay, so for me, what I like, so there's a couple of things that I like. Number one is, so the, to, to, to go back and give a little bit of the sort of like um, context of it. So the idea is there's on, so it's a headline by um, two characters. Uh, the first one is uh, Paul Giamatti who plays um, Chuck Rhodes who is the US attorney uh, yeah sorry US attorney for the Southern District of New York um, and the he's and his sort of enemy is Damon Lewis who plays uh, Bobby Axelrod who is a billionaire um, working on Wall Street uh, he has a he has his own firm called Axe Capital uh, so it's 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 this so it's the it's what's happening in the very like the very uh, top of like you know, the New York power structures. Um, so, so, so that's the setting. The reason I the reason I like it is um, mostly because it's it's really interesting to see like the to have an, uh, to see into that world because you know as a as a normal person I don't know what the hell happens in you know with hedge funds <laughs> and how you know billion dollar deals are made. And what I th love is that for as the as the series goes. You're never like you find yourself rooting for different characters, and and that shifts because like, like it it turns out that basically when you get to that level, like one's really clean. <laughs> so there's right. always like you're you're always sort of rooting for a character, and then ah no I'm not sure, and then yeah, I love it. It's it's great fun. Uh, I learned a lot. Like uh, I it um it's really fast. Like it, there's a lot of like references to lots of things. Like I remember when I um. When I watched like the first season, I think every time I finished watching an episode, I had like ten tabs open, like stuff like references they were dropping that I didn't know about, and mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so it was yeah, it's fast. Um, it's yeah, uh, there, there's a lot of like American references, which for me I had to Google for, for obvious reasons, uh, but it, it it was fun. Yeah, it talks about a lot of things. There's um, yeah, lots of various things. Um, on display from like different industries. Yeah, I, I find it really interesting. Yeah, and I'm a I'm a Paul Giamatti fan person. Oh, you're 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 in for a treat. The the dialogues are astonishing. Like one of the inspirations for the showrunners is David Mamet. Um, so he, so there's a lot of a lot of work goes into the dialogues. And yeah, the, the dialogues are also like very impressive. It's like it's, if you like, if you appreciate like a good turn of a phrase and like just like mm -hmm. just the use of language, it's it's also something that uh, the, the different the show definitely delivers on. Okay, cool. Definitely check that out then. Um, something else caught my eye on your site as I was uh, going around on your on your website. Um, and I've been talking about this with some people lately is, uh, privacy and owning your own data. Mm -hmm. Um, that's a big topic these days. And, sure. um, I try to, with the people I know and the people 
in in my in my circles um family friends that kind of thing um try to teach them about privacy and and, and mm-hmm. data you know and that you know they're still not as much these days as there used to be but you know there's still you can you can have your privacy i feel um and definitely can own your own data um talk a little bit about uh what you like about privacy and owning your own data and and uh then i'll follow it up with another question Sure. I think that one thing we have to plug, I think there's two things we have to plug first um, before I get into my grand explanation of privacy. Um, use Signal and use Portal Mail. I, I, I noticed that in uh, when we when we had an email exchange, you use Portal Mail too. So I would definitely encourage everyone to use these two services, especially Signal, like it's very good now. Like there's very little that WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger or whatever else does that signal doesn't. Right. Uh, so I would very much encourage uh, everyone to go and use signal uh, before, <laughs> before I had an article about this in my blog, but before um, when when signal really kicked in popularity, it was because Elon Musk plugged it, but <laughs> like these days it's less of an endorsement as it used to be two years ago. <laughs> um, yes. Anyway, um, so yeah, privacy, I mean, I, not to go into like, sort of grand statements, but it, it's kind of it's, it's kind of fundamental, isn't it? It's like, it, I mean, one, in the purely like legal sense, it is one of the uh, fundamental human rights. So there's, mm-hmm. there's that. Um, and, you know, I feel like if you're, if you, if when we're talking, if when you're talking to someone, you don't know what's going to happen to that conversation, then you become, you know, become less of yourself, right? You're kind of self-censoring in a way, even if you don't necessarily think about it. But like, for obvious reason, we're not going to, we're not tweeting our inner thoughts, right? Because we're, oh my God, what could happen if I you know, could get canceled or it could happen to my job or whatever. Right. But if you don't trust that your conversation, your, you know, your privacy in general, you know, is, is respected. Like, I mean, we're talking on a podcast, so we know that whatever we're saying is going to be public. But if after that, we're in the same place and we went to, we went to my house or your house, we would expect whatever we said to remain between us, right? Not to be, um, not to have an Alexa device pick it up and you know, record it or something. Right. So um, I think that's right. I think the, the biggest, the, the one sentence sentiments that, well, private conversations are very important and we should be you know, fighting for that at all costs. Yeah. Yeah, I am a Signal user. Uh, I love it. I trust it more than I would trust anything made from Meta. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely, you know, don't trust even Apple messenger. Um, and as I say this, I look at my phone cause I have a message on my phone and the person that owned the phone number before me just had their link sent to their number but it's not their number anymore. They haven't oh, changed their now, number. Yeah. It's it's my number yeah. now. And now mm-hmm. I have a link to update that person's account on my <laughs> phone. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> that's that's good good timing. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um 
but going back to signal i love signal i've been using it for probably about oh gosh i want to say three to four years maybe more yeah um, it, it it wasn't that good then I, f I feel like it was a harder sell but now mm -hmm. uh, today it's very good like i, I don't I, I really don't see a reason why you wouldn't. I mean, I, I know it's always, there's always a network effect problem, right? It's like you don't want to use the app because none of your friends use the app. And as a result, no one uses the app. So right. But, uh, but in terms of features, like I don't, I mean, it's it's really hard to say, oh, no, I can't use what, I don't want to use Signal because it doesn't have like voice calls or group chats. All of these things are there now. Um, yes. Yeah, definitely. It's got, it's got a lot of good features. I use the video call. Uh, feature mm -hmm. when I'm away uh, at conferences and I call home. Um, you know, it, it's a great app. I feel better using it. I don't feel like uh, there's, you know, somebody at say Apple or Meta, you know, looking at my stuff, looking at my conversations, just, you know, mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Um Proton Mail. I've been a big Proton Mail user. Can't recommend these, but you know both of these, uh, Signal and Proton Mail enough. Um, I all my email goes there. Uh, I do have a burner account on, um, for Gmail just because you know I use Google Sheets and all that stuff. Yeah, but you got to use Google. It's annoying. <laughs> it is. Um, <laughs> but you know I don't. You know, not that I, I, you know, as we say over here, I, you know, not that I wear a tinfoil hat and I'm into oh, all sure. this conspiracy stuff, but I just don't trust big corporations with my data. It's just, I mean, I'm talking, you know, we're talking right now and my phone's probably going to pick something up and I'm going to be blasted with ads for yeah. something. Yeah. So, um, and, and, and the problem, I think it's, it's, it, there, there's lots of problems with the way it's, um, it's framed, but it's not necessarily humans. Like, it's not like we, we know Mark Zuckerberg is not listening to anything. He doesn't care, but it's, it's, it's algorithms, right? It's the idea that they make a detailed profile of you. And then as a result, you know, we'll, for, you know, for the purpose of showing you ads, but then, you know, what, what happens, especially now with all, when, all the AIs are coming up, like what, what, what's happening when all this data about you is fed into more powerful systems. Like you don't really want that, like, especially if you can avoid it, like it's, you know, it's an easy switch. Yeah. 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 And I, I have a thing <laughs> against AI. Uh, well, not totally against AI, but I'm just very wary about AI because lately, um, MDN, the MDM docs, MDN docs, excuse mm -hmm. me. Um, they used AI. Um, and it was generating answers or, or, or something. And I'd have to go back and look through um, mm -hmm. the exact article that Steve Faulkner wrote. But Mozilla made the mistake i'll i'll say to use ai in the mdn docs and these generated answers were not totally 
truthful or what they should have been. Therefore, they were giving out the wrong answers. So, you know, they're now backtracking and hopefully they get rid of that. Um, But yeah, it's, it's, it's things like that. Now, on the flip side of the coin, I have I used chat GPT? Absolutely, I have. Why? Because of the (laughs) I've generated talks, Hmm. uh, talk titles from chat GPT. Um, You know, give me 10 talk titles on accessibility, throw a little humor in it. And it's giving me 10 talk titles with, you know, what I want. And I mean, that works great. I love it. It's it's fun. I actually find a little value in them, but when you get deeper into it and when you get, you know, I don't know how far this goes, but I've seen like things like, Oh, I had chat GPT build me an entire app and stuff like that. Uh, Me, I'd rather build my own stuff because I love code. I love, you know, doing all the heavy lifting myself. Cutting a corner like that great you go for it i'm not knocking anybody that does it um but i mean i don't know it's it's not my uh not my cup of tea i guess so um yeah i didn't get him off my soapbox yet uh do do you think but like as, as someone who like loves like and does accessibility do you think like with like the speed improvements we're gonna get from gpt because for for a lot of like menial coding tasks, like it's definitely an improvement. Like if you want to make like, I don't know, just make me 10 variations of a buttons that I can test, like, you know, that GPT is perfect for that. Like, why would you mm-hmm. type this yourself? Right? There's no reason for, you know, and I say 10, it could be a hundred, right? Um, mm-hmm. So with stuff like that, we're, we're definitely going to save time in the long run. Do you think the industry will be like, okay, we're racing against the clock a little bit less. Now maybe we can get our stuff together with like accessibility, performance. Are you optimistic there or are you a bit like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm optimistic, but also at the same time, very cautious. Mm. So like things like accessibility overlays, they don't work and they just, they create more barriers than they do take them down. And of course there's also the ethics, but I won't go into that part. Um, And I get the same feeling with AI and accessibility. Sure. I can go on chat GPT say, Hey, give me 10 examples of buttons that are accessible and it will create those how they are, you know, I'll go, you know, I'll go through that list and say, Oh, okay. It did a good job at doing this. This is, this actually works. I don't fully subscribe to it yet. Yeah. I think so. Sorry. I think maybe I wasn't super clear. So the, my, my thing is we're always sort of pushing like accessibility and performance away because Mm -hmm. no time. Right, we're mm. always like, oh, I don't have time for this. Mm-hmm. Don't have time for this performance stuff. Don't have time for this accessibility stuff. Well, now you do because of GPT. You're, you're, you know, you're saving tons of time because there's a lot of stuff that uh, GPT can code for you, even if it's not everything. It's still a fair amount that you know uh, GPT can code faster and better for you. So, do you think we'll be able to finally 
or at least stop using the excuses of like, oh, no time for accessibility. Um, that's a very good question because, I, you know, yeah, generate this code for me and make it accessible, but will it is my question. Oh, no, it won't for sure. I, I don't think it will, but right. more like I feel like because we'll build things quicker, Right. At least maybe we'll have time for the stuff that is important that needs manual input, like right. accessibility, performance, okay, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So that said, if you still have that piece where somebody's going through and saying, okay, we built this out in no time flat, <laughs> I'll, I'll take a look at it and see how accessible it is, right. do some testing you know, and make sure that it is accessible. If that works, great. But, you know, if the if the process of accessibility still exists from the very beginning, in my book anyways, mm. that's, that's fine. It, for me, accessibility, and I say this all the time, accessibility goes back to even before the design phase, you have to talk about accessibility right. at the very, Is that something very you slap beginning. on top of it last minute? Right. Right. Because, mm. you know, if you've ever done anything in accessibility, as far as, okay, we built this thing out, we built this site or whatever, we're pushing it live tomorrow. Then we'll go back and then we'll make sure it's accessible. Mm. Right. You've yeah. now doubled up your you're now your developers or your designers will have to go back and change things. It's less of a headache, less stress, less stress on developers, designers to say, do this from the very beginning at the outset, mm. even before you know, at the conversation phase of what we're doing with this project. You're gonna find you you will you will always need to go back to make sure things are accessible, but it will be very. It'll be a lot less than if you just tack it on at the end. So, right, I think there is something there to answer your question. That sure it can work, but will companies will organizations make it work? I guess is <laughs> yeah right. Is what I would say is my answer. So, um, yeah. so we're coming up on time, and there's a few questions that actually I wanted to ask. I haven't asked these questions sure. of my guests in a while, so I'm just gonna go back because uh, we have a little bit of time left. So, these are three questions I used to ask. If you've watched seasons what one, and I think maybe I did this in season two, um. I asked these three questions at the very end of my guests. So the first one being, what about the web these days excites you and keeps you excited in what you do? Um, I think it's the same that it's, it's always been for me. It's what I said in the beginning. I still love like building beautiful things. I, I don't think we're done. I, even, I even think maybe it's because I'm, I'm, I've been doing Devra, but I feel like I even see less beautiful things on the web now. Than I used to, so uh, again, absolutely no data to back that fact. This is maybe it's my browsing <laughs> habits. I don't know, but yeah, it's, I still feel like like a great, a great website, great browsing experience is still great. There's um, even now with the um, 
with the Apple Vision, maybe we're maybe we're going to build interfaces for different things, and that that's still super exciting to me. Yeah, I don't know about thirty six hundred dollars ski goggles, but <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, the second question is if there were one thing you could change about the web that we know today, what would that be? Oh, uh, pretty heavy question. Um, I'm going to make, I'm going to keep it technical. I wish I could style more things like, uh, like an audio player. Let me style the progress bar, like, uh, you know, checkbox or whatever. Like, let me style these things. Don't make me. And it's one of the reasons we get people like building like things that have like 32 divs instead of just a single button is because things are no, buttons are not a good example, but you know what I mean? Like, um, yeah. like, uh, like, uh, toggles, you know, like the, um, like a dark mode toggles, like a little, um, little iOS toggles. These are often monster monsters of like, Mm -hmm. nested divs and spans and whatever but like uh, i wish i could style more native elements yeah more definitely. easily yeah definitely i definitely i am in agreement there um i have been for quite a while <laughs> 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 and the last question what is your favorite part of i we i think we've covered this a little bit but favorite part of front-end development or design that you really really like the most and that with the theme of the title of the show that you nerd out over. Yeah. I'm going to use a different one. I think for me, what's great, what's also great about JavaScript apart from like when I get, uh, when I get a, a, a project from a designer and it's, and I'm not sure if it's possible that we get excited about what we're building. What's great about JS is you can use it in so many places, mm -hmm. especially now you can use it on, you know, embedded devices. You can make games. You have, um, we have desktop apps that please don't use Electron, please use something else. But anyway, um, uh, yeah. So yeah, it, it runs in lots of places, and I and I think that's great. Like um, yeah. React Native is good for for all the trash I talked about React earlier. React Native is great because it you know it goes to native code and everything. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of places we can run JavaScript, and that's always exciting to me. And if people don't know out there that are listening you can make your JavaScript accessible. Yes. <laughs> so here's that. I'm actually um, putting together a talk about JavaScript and accessibility. So nice. um, I had to throw that out there. <laughs> so yes. um, I like to close the podcast, let my guests know, or letting my guests let the listeners know what they currently have going on. If you have anything going on, where people can find you online, so the floor is yours. For sure. Uh, what's going on right now? I'm actually, we talked about Astro and I've on another podcast to talk about it. I'm rewriting my website with it. Uh, moving on from the old Gatsby uh, and React stuff uh, into, into Astro. I'm, I'm getting there. Uh, there are a few things, a few kinks I had to iron out. I'm probably going to have a blog post at the end of it to recap. But yeah, that, that's, that's been fun. It's been... Um, a lot of code was great to clean out all this, all the all the Gatsby legacy and make things. It feels like I'm making things a lot more portable, which is great. So yeah, mm -hmm. regarding my website, uh, alvin.codes. Uh, if I'm doing my job right, you will not see it when <laughs> when I change <laughs> when I switch over to when the switch over to Astro goes live. Uh, but yeah, that's it. 
and anywhere online people can follow you as far as socials if they want to get in touch follow you yes um so again my website alvin.codes is the best place i'm on i'm on all the things i'm on twitter i'm on blue sky mastodon i have links on our website and we'll probably put some in the show notes too yes definitely um just as long as you don't hit your rate limit on twitter you'll be able to find (laughs) alvin (laughs) there as as of this recording um i think i'm at uh i viewed about 598 tweets so i guess i'm done for the day um i'll be over at blue sky i guess hanging out yeah i don't know (laughs) um who knows who knows yeah and so let's actually so you are oh yeah i don't know if we follow each other on uh mastodon but i'll find you on mastodon as well um alvin thank you for uh chatting with me today spending part of your day with me i i really appreciate it definitely will um be in touch a little bit about uh some astro stuff and some svelte stuff because sure. it's it's very intriguing um And with that, uh, thank you listeners for tuning into the Front End Nerdery podcast. Uh, I'll be back next time with another guest, hopefully with my co-host Homer. Homer, uh, if you're out there, uh, hopefully we'll see you soon. uh, Where we'll we'll talk about, uh, we'll have new conversations about front end design development, other topics. It doesn't matter anymore. Um, (laughs) It doesn't have to be front end. If you would, please rate this podcast on your podcast device of choice. Like, subscribe, and watch on the Front End Nerdery YouTube channel. This is going to be, as a little caveat here, this will be an audio-only episode of the podcast. I let my uh, guests, if they wish to not have this on YouTube, and then I, I fully respect that. So uh, there won't be a video version of the, this uh, episode, just the audio. There are links to transcripts and show notes that will be um, available for the podcast as well. I'm Todd Libby, and this has been the Front End Nerdery Podcast. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.